Welcome to episode 44 of Shanley on Batman. No need for an intro on this. We're just going to get right back into it. Part two of Shanley on Batman with special guest Paul Dini. Let's go. So let's talk some Batman Beyond. Let's talk about the origins. How did that happen? Now you did Batman the the new adventure. You did the new adventures of Batman. How did you guys come up with Batman Beyond? And were you afraid to kind of like track new? a new mythology, a new lore to the character of Batman. That's something that's never really been done before. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's sort of an interesting way that that came about in, um, we had done the super, you know, Superman. Then we did the new Batman Superman adventures. And by then we were feeling like we could just do, do the show for another five years. We're going along great. You know, uh, Bruce has redesigned all the characters to sort of blend with the Superman world. We were coming up with ideas right or left. We had a really good writing team. We had Stan Berkowitz, Hillary Bader, Bob Goodman. I mentioned Steve Gerber before. And we could, you know, do another, easily do another two or three seasons. And then the rug got pulled out from under us by um, the WB, by Kids WB, who came in and they said, and, you know, this is the rule in animation these days. And, I don't want to get into trouble, but I'll say it. You know, it's like you do a season or two, and then a new executive comes in, and it's like, what's new? I, 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 I saw the show, but what's new? <laughs> it needs to be new. And, uh, and it's like, well, we're doing a show that's kind of a hit, you know? And we had this one executive who was at, who, who at the WB who was really, I would say he was kind of special. <laughs> There's going to be a good story after this. <laughs> you know, by special, I mean no attention span and no regard for anything. You know, it's just like one of these guys always dazzled by the new, and I'd probably never seen what was good before. And, you know, I was thinking back a few weeks ago over the show, and there was a lot of stuff that we couldn't do the more popular the show got, became, you know, because we started off with this burst of creativity, and I'd say the show was always creative, and we always did our best on it. But occasionally, like, the network would come to us, like, and say, this season we need more Robin in the episodes. And it's like, yeah, but we want to do a couple of romance stories with, no, 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 Robin stories only. We only want Robin. And so I think it was a testament to everybody's creativity that we were able to take these various um, curveballs we were always getting thrown and, and doing our best with them. So what happened was when we were doing the Batman Superman adventures, they wanted to, you know, it's all about kids. You know, they... They, I, I, my personal belief is when a kid sees a character on screen who's not a kid, who's an adult or a teenager, they don't mind reaching up a bit to understand what that character is going through and it's sort of interesting to them. Executives see a kid watching TV only wants to see a kid. They only want to see a kid standing in front of that wall of lockers. It doesn't matter if the kid is an animal or a superhero or a witch or whatever, but they always want to see them in school. They always want to see them dealing with, you know, kid problems and everything like that. And it has to be kid, 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 you know, related. And so we got this sort of edict, like, what if there was a kid Batman? Could we make Batman a kid? Because, you know, they all have these ideas like, well, you know, that's that's the wish fulfillment of kids. And, and there, wouldn't it be great to have a kid drive the Batmobile and everything like that? 
and that was sort of the buzz talk we were hearing around the time of of, of Batman Beyond, and we so it, we didn't have Batman Beyond at that time. We sort of had this growing interest in putting a kid in in the Batman role. So we began thinking, should this be a story of Bruce Wayne as a kid learning to be Batman, or should it be a future take on Batman? And the more we started working with it, the more the idea of a future take on Batman, of Bruce passing along the mantle to somebody who wasn't necessarily Robin, was uh, very attractive to us. And, you know, it hadn't been done before because the natural inclination is to go to somebody close to him, like Robin or, or um, you know, another ally. And uh, we started working with that idea, and I don't think it was what the network really expected. And it's not to say they didn't want it eventually, but they were really expecting us to take them at the word and find some way to put a kid in the Batmobile and a kid wearing the suit and everything. So, you know, we, we, we jammed a lot, everybody together on this, um, Alan and Bruce and myself and Glenn Mirakami and, and, and uh, everybody came in and we all kind of put our heads together to come up with, you know, what, how do we kind of challenge ourselves to do this? And at first I really didn't want to do it because I was saying, well, what's wrong with the show? I mean, we, you know, we could do, do that show forever. And, you know, there's something to be said for that, but there's also something to be said for not doing the show forever and going out, you know, when, you know, kind of on a high, you don't want it to get uh, stale. So the more we started thinking about it, the more we started thinking about Batman, maybe 40 years into the future where Bruce is in his late seventies and what kind of, would his crusade have wiped out crime? No, probably not. Would he become old and bitter and a loner? Probably yes. Okay, how do we re reinvigorate Batman, and who do we bring in, and who who gets to carry on the tradition? And I really think that when we came up with Terry, and we came up with that world, and there were certain cool ideas we were able to work into it, uh, it just kind of flowered, and it became its own thing. And I think it was a bigger um, success creatively than the network ever saw it being. And I think it was, you know it was really a nice surprise. And I think that it, in its own way, it's as valid as a future reinterpretation of, of Batman as something like the dark Frank Miller's the dark Knight. You know, I think they're separate universes and separate takes, but I also think that Batman, it really lends himself to reinterpretation and constant reinvention. And I think that we served the character. Well, at least we'd served our animated version of the character. Well, by continuing it uh, that way. And it was, it was fascinating to show, you know, what Gotham City had become. It had become this very international city where there's uh, Asian um, lettering on the sides of buildings, where it, there's nods to Blade Runner and, and things like that throughout it. Um, it was not a glistening metropolis future. It was a much more depressing future. Somebody like Batman had not, the idea of Batman as a hero had not endured among young people, but the Joker had, because the Joker and his... Like, like any outlaw, you know, from any, any criminal over time becomes romanticized to being like a, a colorful outlaw. And so the Joker had become the symbol of rebellion to, to disenfranchised youth. So they were more apt to paint their faces and do cruel pranks than they were to try and be like Batman and, and um, you know, stop crime. And I, it's a pessimistic worldview, but it's kind of true. And right. uh, the fact that we were able to be true to that vision of it was very gratifying. And the more we got into it, the more we thought, you know, this is really an interesting world. And we enjoyed it very much. I always liked the idea of 
Batman being older, like, I just, I find it more plausible, like I said before. It's more plausible to see a Batman kind of entrust it in Terry than him be the Frank Miller where he's kind of fighting the mutants. Like, as good as Frank Miller stuff is, there's still a level of uh, unbelievable sci-fi. Yeah. Like, the mutants are a little weird. Not like, that bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but like, with, with <laughs> Batman Beyond, you have... Uh, you have the continuity from the animated series, but it's uh, it's futuristic, but it's not so out of this world where you can't believe it, it happens. Like, yeah, there's a few like the flying cars and everything, but are we getting we're getting closer to that now than ever? We what, Google just came out with, like this weird robot, this AI robot like Terminator and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so like it just it's more plausible to see that than than the Frank Miller stuff. And I like I love it much more than the Frank Miller stuff. Well, I mean, you know, I've always loved Dark Knight, and I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, Frank's work in general is just, you know, superior to everything else. There is a sort of, an almost an antiquated and kind of quaint look, you know, feel of Dark Knight now, which even a few years after it printed, that always struck me as sort of odd was the, it's futuristic, yes, but it's clearly Reagan's America. It's it's Ronald Reagan as the president, or a president very much like that. It very it is born out of a, a out of a definite late '80s sensibility of where America was at that time, even though there are fantastic elements to it. And you know, uh, Batman Beyond does not have that political bent to it, so it's um, I think it I think it's fared a little bit more uh, a little better. It hasn't dated as much in in, in that aspect. Because I look at the Dark Knight now, and it does remind me of where, where a Republican mindset was at that time, as I recall. Um, so, where what what did you find to be like the hardest part of like crossing over to doing these stories, like the Batman Beyond, and like trying to come up with like newer newer stories for the place and time where he's at. Well, it was it was very challenging, especially at first because he, you know, it, he's not a he's not necessarily a poor kid, but he's not a kid of privilege either, and he's not Robin, and he does have a life, and he does have a family, and yet the, a lot of those elements don't seem to bother him as much. I mean, he does he is concerned about uh, protecting his mother and his and his um, and his brother and his girlfriend and everything, but. Um, his attitude is more like, you know, whatever shit happens, I, I, I think I'm, I'm up to the challenge of, 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 of handling it. And um, so even though he kept the secret identity and everything, I always felt that it was not as big a deal to him as it was to Bruce or characters like, for instance, Spider-Man, you know, who was also a teenager who has loved ones at home. I, I feel like Terry was a bit of a bad kid, and I always felt that he found Bruce at that moment where he could have become legitimately bad or else, you know, uh, or straightened out his life. And I think that his, his involvement with Bruce is what, is what shaped, is what shaped him up and straightened out his life. And, um, so it wasn't like he had sat there with a candle and taken the vow. It was more like he was figuring this out as he went along. Do I want to be a hero? Do I, do I want any part of this? And to what degree do I want a, a part of this? So it was, you know, we couldn't do, Batman episodes with him. We couldn't do the, the the way that we would open a Bruce Wayne Batman episode. It's not how we would open a Terry McGinnis Batman episode. It was more born out of where he was at that point in his life as a as a son and a, and a brother and a, and a boyfriend. And uh, then it was like a guy who's sitting around waiting for the light to come on. And it's like a juggling act of how do I balance family and the obligation to this 
weird old bastard in a cave and everything. <laughs> it was, um, they were challenging, but they also freed us up as like, okay, let's remember, you know, what's it like to be a teenager? What's important to you? And how does that get in the way of having a, a full-time career and, and, uh, as a, as a superhero? And, um, is that something he, he is going to want five years from now? So, but I thought, you know, I thought we did respectably well with that and juggling those worlds. So like, which one, did, which one do you favor working? Did you favor working on more like the animated series where like you were, it, sorry, where you had like that continuity you were building up or the beyond where you could kind of just like write it as it went, make up your, your own mythology and stuff to it. I don't know. That's a tough one because, uh, you know, if I say the animated series, I, I could always find something to do with Batman and one of the villains and everything. But at the same time, you know, how, how much do you, what, what new can you bring to these characters? I mean, especially with the villains, at some point you run the risk of, of two things happening. Either the villain becomes just the next, um, the next big stunt born out of what their powers are like Bane or Poison Ivy or something. Or do you get deeper into their character and do you expand their characters a little bit and do you humanize them a bit more? And then you run the risk of losing the character altogether. I mean, when we got down with some of the Poison Ivy stories like Harley and Ivy and House and Garden, it was hard to see her as a villain anymore. I mean, she was somebody who was more um, a bit more sympathetic, certainly had a bit more dimension to her, but does does it make sense to go to tell that many stories about her because we've kind of, you know, gone that route with her. Um, Two-Face, I think, was always good for uh, new stories. But again, he is, you know, once you get away, once you calm him down a bit, he's a, a very sympathetic character. And uh, and if you keep using him a lot, then he just becomes a random, you know, a thug with the, the, the coin in the two gimmick. So, um, yes, I think overall it was easier and uh, uh, to... to to tell stories in the, in the regular Batman universe. But I think Batman beyond was more challenging and it was a fresher world. I would have, I could have easily gone for another season or two up of Batman beyond. And I was very disappointed. They didn't keep us going because I felt like, okay, we've just scratched the surface. Now we brought yeah. in the justice league and now we, we have new characters and tremendous characters. And, and uh, you know, I remember when I worked on the call, I sat down and came up with those characters very quickly. Like, War, oh, what's a good name? Warhawk's a good name. Uh, Micron, hey, that's sort of like that. <laughs> now they have these whole histories and backstories, and, and Warhawk is uh, Green Lantern and uh, son with, with Hawk Girl, is that right? Or something like that? I, I mean, that, they, they, there's this whole... That's funny you brought up Micron, because uh, the new issue of Beyond dropped today, and he just yeah. showed up in it, yeah. <laughs> Man, it's just, it, it's just amazing that those characters, you know, I think it's very gratifying that they went on to have you know, lives and identities and everything like that. Uh, when you do your job right, other people gravitate toward it. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of disposable, forgettable cartoon stuff out there. But when you have a chance to work on something that has a little bit of, a, you know, that the people come to love, it's it's extremely gratifying. Let's talk about one of my personal favorite Batman anything out of the past. How are you able to come up with that amazing twist at the end that totally makes sense with bringing Talia and Raish full circle? And then my favorite thing of that whole series, and even including Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which is amazing, is when Bruce, the, the middle-aged Bruce is fighting with Terry for the first time, and you get to see that. Let's talk about that. What was, that, what was it like writing that and 
like oh like Bruce is gonna kick and jump and do all this crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seemed to be a natural way to go because you know you have Rachel Ghoul and you have Talia who are kind of geared up very well for immortality, and you have Bruce who's made the determination that he's just going to stick it out and age, you know, as as, as he always has. And you know, it was always like dangling right in front of us, like that apple will have to pluck and eat it at some point. The idea of turning Bruce younger again and putting him, you know, having him fight with Terry as if they were like a, a Batman and Robin team or something like that. The question was just how to do it. And, you know, I got the idea of doing it with Talia. And then I had that weird twist where I said, and you know what? It's not really Talia. It's Rachel in, in her, in her, in Spoiler alert. <laughs> and how sick is that? Because they just spent the night together. Oh, Implying they really were together. You know, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it was really weird and twisted, but it just seemed right, you know, to, to do it that way and to really uh, to do that. And I, I just felt like that episode had a little bit of everything. It had a bad musical in it. I love that musical. <laughs> Let's talk about that. The superstitious cowardly lot musical. Like, yeah. Where'd you? Was there like a like a Batman musical going on at the time, or did you just like I'm just yes. it? Yes, there was talk of doing a Batman stage musical, and I thought, oh god, another <laughs> another assault to our our hero's dignity. <laughs> so now we're thinking we got to do that first, and. Uh, and, and then we decided, let's make it like cats, like Andrew Lloyd <laughs> Webber with them in the sparkly suits and, and everything. And uh, and um, and Kevin Conroy loves to sing. He just never gets a chance. He's sung like twice in the whole history of uh, the Warner Brothers uh, super, uh, you know, uh, DCU shows. Um, but he's a, a wonderful singer and he really loved the chance to do it. And again, it's an idea that, that's really hokey, but it kind of works with the idea that 40 years into the future, Batman has sort of be and the villains have become these sort of quaint outlaw archetypes, and they've been kind of distilled down into into, into their these very harmless forms. So it sort of worked, and and just seeing Bruce's reaction to it, like, oh God, it's come to this. You know, I, I never thought it would go this far. But I actually had the same reaction the first time I saw the Mad Love cover made into a cell phone cover. I was going like, hasn't this gone too far? Can you see this joke yet? I mean, you know, really? And um, but uh, it's um, it was. It was fun, and it had a lot of good stuff in it. It had Bruce's little trip down memory lane, looking at all the the, the, the girls he's loved over the years, and it was sort of sweet. And then Talia walks in the middle of it, and, and, uh, and I just thought that's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff to put in there, and uh, it just it just it just felt right all the way through, and it was a lot of fun, and it had that really grotesque ending. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which sort of uh, paid, you know, we can be silly up front with the musical as long as we give them a real kicker at the end. And, uh, and I, I think that, that that worked really well. So it, it was always, that was always a, a fun one for me. It was something that we knew we were going to do. We just didn't know how we were going to do it. And so when it finally fell in my lap, I said, oh, let's, let's do it like this. And it was <laughs> one of those things where, again, Alan, Bruce and I were running around talking, you know, throwing ideas back and forth. And, you know, it just really enjoyed the hell out of it. Out of it. <laughs> I'm speechless because that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite things. So we we gotta talk. I know all the fans of the show will hate us if we don't jump into Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like one of my favorite Batman, well Joker, well Batman Joker lines. I always get them confused. Where at the end of the movie, 
He's like, come on, Batfake. Like, let's talk about the writing process on that. Because mm -hmm. that's a very dark story. Like, you ha you're you balancing a lot of things. It starts kind of like the, it's like a kind of science fiction kind of a thing at the very beginning. But it's really a story about Bruce and Terry kind of at odds with each other. Because at one point, Bruce is like, Terry, like, this is, like, this is no, the Joker's no joke. Like, he's yeah. a character you've never faced before. You might have fought Ink and uh, Derek Powers and all these other, but the Joker's no joke. And it pretty much pushes Terry to the point of quitting, like throwing the suit away. Like, I don't want any part of this life anymore. Were you, is that something that you consciously wanted to do while writing Batman Beyond? Kind of put the, these two characters at odds at the at the second part of the act? Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. And it was, um, you know, it was a chance to do a really strong story. We were encouraged by the, by the people in the, many of the Batman films at the time to really do to treat it as if we were doing a, a Batman Beyond film that a lot of people would see in, in theater and take that attitude toward it. So we said, okay, we're going to do go, go over the top in a few things. And, and not only are we going to, you know, have a lot more intense action and some violence and some death, but we also want to play with some ideas that really get to the, the core of who these characters are and the fundamental differences between them. I mean, Batman is is a serious character. Bruce Wayne Batman is a serious character. And he takes the Joker at face value. This guy is a threat. He don't don't listen to him. Don't ball for his spiel. Never forgive it to him. Just beat the crap out of him and keep going. Whereas Terry is more of a wise act and um, operate more on the Joker's level and turn it back to him. And there's something that I always feel is very important um, about the Joker's character that only rarely comes through, and that is he hates being, he loves he loves getting laughs, but he hates being ridiculed. He cannot be the butt of a joke. He cannot take a joke. He cannot, you know, what happened to him when his face got screwed up, when he became the Joker, you know, uh, however that happened, was such savaging to his personality and to whatever his soul was at that time that he, it's almost like he's out, you know, walking around with that face, daring people to laugh at him. And when somebody actually does laugh at him and who shoves him down and says, it won't work on me, it drives him mad. It's, it's the one thing that hurts him is to, it's weird. It's the one thing that hurts him is to really be laughed at, to really be mocked and ridiculed because he's got no defense for it. And that's what drives him, you know, berserk more than anything. Because he likes to be the one in control of the laughs. He's like, he's the one laughing at you. He's the one telling the jokes. And when it's on him, he can't stand it. And when Terry figures that out, he realizes that he's figured out the one thing that Bruce never did because Bruce just isn't, isn't equipped to figure that out about the Joker. And he can't make a joke at the Joker's expense, but Terry can. And I think that's the key thing, you know, that he uses against him when it comes down to the fight. You know, he's fighting, yes, he's, he's fighting a mutated version of Tim, but it's really the Joker in his head and the Joker's, you know, uh, personality overriding everything else and, and the, the same rules apply. So I think that that was, um, and that, that's how he wins. You know, and that's 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 why Bruce. It always ends in a stalemate between Bruce and the Joker because Batman can't. Batman doesn't have a sense of humor. He can't see the funny, and he can't see, and and and, and he can't, you know, turn it back on the Joker. Really, he can only defeat him. He can only be smarter than he is and stronger. 
Hey, Tom, where do you go to check your DC movie news? Man, I usually go to Facebook and hit up DC Extended Multiverse. DC Extended Multiverse? Yeah, it's a page that pretty much on the hour updates all kinds of stuff from movie news, casting reveals. Um, Sometimes they have things like fan art or fan casts. Pretty much anything that you could think of in the DC world, DC Extended Multiverse has. That sounds fantastic. I'm going to check them out. A couple of other Batman-related projects that you were involved in was when the uh, the Batman Arkham games were coming out. How did you originally yeah. get involved in those? What happened was uh, I was contacted by DC, a few folks at DC, to um, uh, act as sort of a creative uh, resource for the, um, the folks doing the, the games over in um in uh in in london and uh first they wanted somebody to kind of who knew the characters to kind of work with them and then it turned into more of a writing thing and then it was actually like you want to be involved with this you want to be involved in the writing of it and it sounded great to me i'm not a huge gamer i've played them off and on throughout the years and i'll sort of go through fits and spurts where i'll play a lot of games and then go away from it for years and for comp for the regular you know like the uh xbox games i wasn't playing much of them at that time but i had done a batman game years before for sega genesis where uh basically just written the air the interstitials and the um the 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 cut scenes for for that which were animated by tms um and uh, the gameplay itself was was you know you know fairly simple, but the cartoon in between was was kind of fun. So it was great to go into that world and really see the Rocksteady team reimagine that world. And I think because you know they they're all artists and they they live in London. When I saw the artwork they had come up with, it did have sort of a a more a more British look to it in the fact that it was old brick buildings, it was ivy covered you know asylums, it was. A little bit more European than than the a usual take on Batman in his world. It was darker. It was more. It had a bit more of a Victorian look to it, and, and a, a decaying Victorian look to it. Even though it was all supposed to be Gotham City, but I always imagine Gotham City to look a little like a cross between London and Boston. You know, like uh-huh. you know, clashes of old style architecture with some jarringly new twenty first century stuff thrown in. And but they really had. You know, the one thing I say is they had, you know, the Septon Hill, the director, and uh, Paul Crocker, their uh, their lead story writer. They all had a tremendous affinity for Batman, and they really wanted to make it their own, much as the way that um, Alan and Eric and Bruce and I did, you know, some years before. So they were really looking for their their turn to bring something wonderful to the world, and I think they really did. And it was uh, very. Uh, challenging for me to write in that arena because I had to learn very quickly that it was not writing like an episode of the show or a movie. It was a game experience and uh, I couldn't have too much of the action take place in the cutscenes, and I couldn't give away too much plot because, um, you know, I have to keep the, the game player engaged at all point and I have to put enough of that in the action to keep it moving. And I couldn't just plop out a bunch of plot in in a cutscene. So uh, Paul Crocker was very good at walking me through uh, the, the process of that. I worked with him very closely on the, the stories for the first two. And uh, 
it was a lot of fun to write. I mean, you know, some of it involved a lot of repetition. You know, Batman runs down a hallway and there's a, a security guard, you know, which way did he go? And, you know, you, you have that scene taking place about five or seven times. <laughs> Batman, he went down that way. Or what are you doing here, Batman? I'm looking for Killer Croc. Well, he went down that, you know. So you're writing the same scene over and over again. You're just coming up with different words for it based on which direction he turns his head, what, you know. Uh, what he says to the guard and, you know, over and over. So I would sit there, write piles and piles of stuff and try and figure out different ways to say the same stuff in the um, during the course of the game. But it was a lot of fun, and it was fun conceptualizing that world and and uh, and coming up with things that were pertaining pretty much just to that world, especially in the first two games with the uh, the Titan serum and its effects on the Joker and, uh, and uh, the idea of walling off half of Gotham and... Uh, um, Letting the uh, the uh, the psychos kind of fend for themselves and everything like that. It was it was a lot of fun. Sometimes you know, I'm like I said, I'm not a tremendous game player, but there are times I'll just you know play the game just so I can swing around as Batman. I won't even yeah. find anybody. I'm not trying to find any Riddler, you know, prizes. <laughs> I'm just swinging around like Batman. No, oh, here's a guy down here. I'm gonna drop down and beat him up, but I don't care if I get killed because I'll just swing around again. And, <laughs> yeah. I want to play Batman. <laughs> I find I do that a lot too. Just you, like you're oh, see, able to be Batman in those games. That's what's so amazing. Like it feels like, like you're in Arkham City or Gotham City, or driving the Batmobile. It's the it's the ultimate gameplay if you're a huge Batman fan. One of the things I really enjoyed about the 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 especially Batman's character in those games is that we were free to come up with a lot more stuff for him to use, like the detective mode built into the, um, built into the cowl and the exploding foam that he uses on his, yeah. on his boots or on his fists. And uh, a lot of that stuff is just terrific because in animation, you know, we find ourselves falling back on the old magic batarang again, you know, there's something, you know, you throw that batarang goes exactly where it needs to go and does exactly what it needs to do. If it needs to cut through a steel cable, it can, if it needs to, wrap around somebody you can, and it's just like the battering again. So every time I write Batman, I want to give him more junk for, for the belt or more things that he's got and and shake it up a little bit. And sometimes directors have said to me, well, what's this thing that he has? And I said, well, it's this bat tool, and it does this, and it flies around like this. And it's like, does isn't it logical that he would have that? It's like, I guess, but he's never, you know, what happened to the batarang? I'm going like, let's give him stuff. He's have new stuff. Yeah. The batarang... You know, let, let's give that a rest for a decade or two. Let's come up with new stuff for him to have. And, and, uh, I, keep, I, I get a lot of resistance on that because you know he only designed so many props for a half hour. But uh, I always want, I always want him to have new stuff. So we've gone through pretty much all like your like amazing history with Batman. You, you've written for animated series, the mo- like the animated films. What are you looking forward to in this new DC extended universe that we know with Ben and as Batman, Aquaman, you know, Batman versus Superman? I mean, you you have written a Batman versus Superman script. So are you excited for this? Because when Ben was cast, there was a lot of resistance. Oh, he can't do it. But he looks like the best Batman. Like he's in the best yeah. Batman suit. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always going to be, you know, all right, the internet gives everybody the chance to have a, you know, a voice, uh, you know, for, for, for better or for worse, usually for better. But, you know, everybody has an opinion, and there'll be somebody who will go and see that movie and wind up loving it, but they'll just say, well, I don't like, like because of, well, you know, whatever reason, you know, maybe they 
maybe they they didn't think Phantoms was the bomb or something like that. <laughs> yes. Hi, Kevin Smith. I made a, a shout out to you. Um, <laughs> Uh, or, or they, you know, or whatever that movie they, they didn't care for, but you know, or they just want to take a contrary position. But you know, I that's why I don't get involved in a lot of that stuff. You know, my opinions I tend to keep to myself because you know, ultimately they are my opinions, or, and you know, people will just want to scrap with you over any, anything. So um, I think that uh, you know, I, obviously giving them, you know all the support, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll do a terrific job. And you know, I think Margot will be great as Harley and Jared Leto looks great as the Joker. And they're all different versions. And I think it's all, it's always like the kid trying uh, spinach for the first time, you know, like, I don't want it. I don't like it. I'm unfamiliar with it. It's probably going to be bad. And then they'll have it. And it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then, okay, here comes broccoli. Oh, I really don't want that. I don't want that. And then they have it. Oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> um, so you got to get used to it. It's unfamiliar. And, uh, and um, you know, but either they'll get used to it or they or they won't. Or, but every version of Batman is someone's favorite. So uh, uh, there's always that. Do you prefer... So, do you prefer Tim Burton's version of Batman or Chris Nolan's version? Because it's like in Tim Burton's first one, they did a little bit of the detective work, and then the Dark Knight did a little bit of detective work. But whenever there's a film about Batman, it, they almost completely omit the fact that Batman's the greatest detective. Well, yeah, that is something that I find lacking from most versions of, of, of Batman. I think, and I think that at his worst, especially in live action movies, Batman becomes a sort of traffic cop moving the other characters around. Okay, three, three, three bad guys go over here, Robin and Alfred, you're over here, Gordon and whoever I'm dating is over here, and I got to juggle all this stuff. So there's very little time for him to be Batman. And, and one of the things I would really love to see done in an interpretation of Batman is a little bit more like what they did with the Robert Downey Sherlock Holmes, where he is a detective all the time, where he's always looking at somebody and sizing them up. And that was a little something I tried getting into detective comics when I was writing it, is that my, and I don't know, I don't think it was entirely successful pulling it off, but I went in with the attitude that let's keep Batman like the Act 3 thing only. Like how... Let's see Bruce solving mysteries. Let's see Bruce solving, you know, trying to size people up. Let's see Bruce Wayne being a detective and acting like he isn't, you know, like when he asks somebody for a number, you know, and they don't want to give it to him. He'll just like snap, you know, oh, here, I'll just take this, but I'll take something personal that and, uh, and, and write their number down and then later he can analyze it. Okay, this person was at such and such place because I analyzed what was on the card that I got from them and okay, that person isn't what they, they seem to be. I, I think Bruce should be doing that all the time, you know? And, like, he's, he's, he's a restless soul who can't stop doing it. And I guess because they only have a limited space in the comics and definitely in the movies, there isn't time for him to do that. And I think if you get farther into that, yes, he's a detective. Yes, he's a scientist. Yes, he's an athlete. He's all those things. When you consecrate on those elements that, Again, with a limited amount of time, you wonder why why are we spending so much time on this when he should be fighting the Riddler or, or something like that. You got, you have a little more leeway in, in in comics and graphic novels to play up that element of it, but in the movies that does always get uh, short shrift, unfortunately. So in in recent here, we we've heard that there's going to be a uh, a Killing Joke animated film, mm -hmm. and when we heard that the three of us, one of the first things that we said was like, I wonder if Paul Dini's involved with this. Not at all. Not at all? 
don't know anything about it. I just know that it's happening. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So what are you doing right now other than Hulk's, Hulk Agents of Smash? Yep. Let's talk about that. Well, that's been over for a while now. Has uh, it? What's, I'm what's doing a bunch it? of stuff that I can't talk about, uh, but we'll discover later this year, I think. Um, maybe toward the end of the year. And uh, uh, some definitely exciting stuff um, coming up. And uh, But I'm just kind of sworn to secrecy about it at this point, and, uh, which is good because I've never even heard a whisper about it. And, when, um, and we'll kind of keep it that way until, until it's announced. But I'm busy all the time. I'm writing a bunch of stuff. And... Uh, and um, next year, I'll probably have a bunch of stuff out that you might find interesting. We can't wait. Yeah. Another thing that Paul works on, which is like Jingle Bell, is one oh, of my yeah. favorite. It's like, why is this not a film? Like, It's like Elf, but it's like better than Elf. Sexier than Elf. Yes. 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 Um, <laughs> actually, I was working toward bringing out a Jingle Bell omnibus this year, like collecting all the old stories and putting some new stories out, but then the year just got away from me, so it'll be out next year. So um, I'll make an, a, an official announcement, but I do have a publisher lined up. We're working on it now. Uh, the cover is behind me, actually, but I'm not going to show it to you until uh, yeah. um, we can uh, announce the book. But it is happening, and uh, we're going to have some new... And this gives us another year to have more new stuff in it, so it'll be a big, solid... Um, Jingle Bell book probably coming out this time next year, September, October of next year. And that's fun. The reason there's been, there hasn't been a movie is because um, a couple of reasons. One, um, I, I've been approached by it, but the people who wanted to make the movie have insisted that I deed over all rights to the character and that I never write the character again and that I'm not involved with the movie and that I never get any, you know, they, they said we will purchase all rights in perpetuity, including any, you know, ancillary rights, TV rights, animation rights, you know, merchandise rights. And I'm saying, you're not making a good case for me to sign this deal. And, uh, <laughs> and then they come back and they play hardball. And they say, you better make this deal. You get nothing. And it's like, I get nothing if I make the deal. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, God knows how, you know, uh, how uh, Robert uh, uh, Kirkman, you know, did it with The Walking Dead. God, you know, more power to him and the guys who were able to pull off that, um, um you know, the, the creator, you know, the sweet deal of the creator is every time somebody's come to me with Jingle Bell, it's like they, they put a gun to the back of my head and say, we're taking it. And I say no. And so that's that's why. And, and also at this point, I've seen a lot of elements of Jingle Bell pop up in other movies about Santa and stuff like that. So I do. And I, it's never gotten to the point where, yeah, it's kind of odious, but is it really worth going to court over something like this? No, probably not. You know, at some point, you know, maybe when the book comes out next year, there'll be some revived interest in her and stuff like that. But right now, you know, I, she's not a kitten that I'm giving away out of a box in front of the supermarket. And that's the way people have always treated her. And one time, um, this one studio came to me and they were they were ready to drive to my house and, you know, shoot me over this. And they said, you know, they were insisting that I had to surrender all drawings of the character that done by me or other artists that I had to deduct any money I'd made off of t-shirts or collectibles and repay them that and, and give them all the prototypes. And I'm saying like, and you want me to get into business with you guys? Are you <laughs> of course I won't. And the lawyers kept screaming at me and everything like, Woo, I thought we had a deal. It's like, no, no, man, I ain't doing it. Wow. So that's actually, yeah, no jingle bell movie. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> say ever, but 
not for the foreseeable future. It's just like, it's nice knowing that everybody, it's weird because everybody's seen, you know, like Harley Quinn take off and they all say, hey, what about Jingle Bell? And it's like, what about her? And they'll say, well, we want all the rights to that. And it's like, no. <laughs> so, but you, ain't, you ain't getting it. So, I, I, so Jingle no Jingle Bell, Bell until people learn how to share on that. Jingle so, Bell would work perfectly as like a Pixar animated film too. Oh, I'd love that. You know, especially if it had a little hint of the old Rankin Bass to it. Yeah. Kind of a, a fun way to do. Yeah. I'm coming up with new characters all the time and uh, I'll, I'll announce some, some new stuff that I've got in the works. And, uh, um, but I, you know, I'm very protective of the characters and it's, you know, I've been working in the business long enough where seeing one on in a movie doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't dazzle me. It's just like, I, I get, you know, Frank Miller told me one time, um, when I first started doing it, he said, you know, when you get that first comic out of the box that the printer sends, you know, and you realize this is your creation and no one can take it from you unless you want it to. It's really, it's a real wonderful feeling. And it, and it is. So, I, you know, to, for me to just sell the character off like that, it's like, yeah, can't do it. We don't blame you either. No, why should I? <laughs> I think that's it for us, uh, Paul Dini, man. Like, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I, I think I can speak for all three of us when I say, like, you literally wrote our childhood. Like, it's it's true. I mean, every morning we would wake up and watch cartoons written by you. So right. thank you so much, man. Thank you. And now you can spend your adulthood doing the same. Yeah, exactly. and we get to talk to like the like that's what's so crazy about this. We have the opportunity to talk to someone who was there writing our care, like our favorite comic book character, and reinterpreting Mister Freeze into something that actually makes sense. And mm -hmm. uh, just... what's your favorite versions of Batman? As long as we're chatting, which like, let's go, let's do a lightning round. Everybody, everybody, join in. Let's, beyond let's... man, I, th I think. <laughs> yeah. I think beyond because when I was a teenager, that's when it was on. So I could always imagine, man, if Bruce Wayne, if I knew Bruce Wayne, I'd so totally be Terry McGinnis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Beyond's just always been that that Batman for it's just so cool, and it would work perfectly as a live action film. I would love to see a Ben Affleck or a Michael Keaton else, or even Michael yeah. Keaton. Yeah. He's at that perfect age. That would be so that, cool. That would be very interesting having him come back be old Batman. Yeah, we actually, Alan Burnett and I did write a draft of a Batman Beyond movie, but unfortunately it, didn't, it just didn't take. I mean, it was, you know, not not the right idea at the right time, but it would have been fun to have. You know, I, I think if you actually do Batman Beyond, you don't have the gravitas of redoing Bruce Wayne Batman and what villain is going to play the Riddler or the Joker. It's it's all, all that stuff is gone. This is a new guy, new villains. And yet you have the Batman lore to draw on in the background. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they re they revisited. I've not heard anything about them doing it, but I think, you know, as every, you know, 20 years later, it gets to be very fondly remembered and, and it really has a place in the culture. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they, they dust that off and really seriously pursue that. Well, it's worked perfectly because you, you can bring in old characters like the Joker to face off against Terry, and it could still work within this new DCEU continuity as well. Like ten, mm -hmm. ten years from now, if Ben's still playing it, like he would be at like almost that perfect age to be the Frank yeah. Miller, but then jump right into Beyond, and you could, that'd be a perfect way to kind of segue into like a new series of films with yeah. a Terry McGinnis. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, 
Are you Batman Beyond? I'm a big fan of Batman Beyond, but I also have a soft spot for an animated series Batman as well. They're both pretty equal in my books. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, like, we could really talk to you all night about all this stuff. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much for being on the show. And oh, it was my pleasure. You keep writing stuff. We'll keep reading and watching it. Man. If you ever want to come back on and talk, like, after Suicide Squad or Batman versus Superman, or just like... Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I kind of wish we were doing this about a month from now, because uh, we might have something else to talk about. But uh, they're all in good time. All in good time. I'll let... You know, things happen as they're supposed to happen. Anyway, yeah, it was wonderful talking to you guys. And, uh, yeah, let's do it again. All right, man. We're going to let you get to your night. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. You heard it for episode 44 of Shanlene on Batman with our special guest, Paul Dini. Good night. I am the knight. I am Batman.